Amen. Folks, open your Bibles, if you would, to Luke chapter 9. And the title of my message this morning is Exposed, and there's a question mark after it. So um, I just want to know if you all have been exposed, because if you have, we're going to have to empty the sanctuary. Uh, Because whenever you talk about exposure, you begin to think about this COVID-19 virus that we are right in the middle of. And, you know, have I been exposed? Have I not been exposed? Am I going to get exposed? I'm trying to do everything I can not to be exposed. A welcome break from COVID-19. This has nothing whatsoever to do with COVID-19. Amen? Amen. 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 Well, folks, in Luke chapter 9, one of the things that we're going to read and kind of give you a little backstory on it, the disciples, these 12 guys that Jesus had chosen, uh, they had known Jesus for somewhere approximately about three years, but I really believe that their perception of who Jesus was, who Jesus is at that moment in time, I think it was a little bit skewed. I think they knew some things about Jesus, but they certainly didn't know the big picture, if you would. So... So they, they had been with him, they'd ate with him, they'd walked with him, they, they had slept in the same room that he was in. Are y'all there? But I think their perception was a little bit limited. They, they, I think they had barely begun to grasp that this guy that they're with, I mean, he's the Messiah. I mean, he's the Messiah. But maybe not so much more than that had they really grasped. I really think that they probably needed, if you would, a deeper revelation of who Jesus was. And that's the whole reason this message exists, because I think all of us, regardless of how long you've been in the kingdom, regardless of how much you've studied the word, regardless of what kind of encounters that you've had with Jesus Christ over the years, I believe all of us need a deeper revelation of who Jesus Christ is. So this morning, I'm going to start out with a little science lesson, a very small science lesson, because I don't know much about science, okay? So... I want to talk about sight because that's something very scientific to be able to understand sight. Uh, The definition of sight is this, the power or faculty of seeing, perception by use of the eyes, vision. Some people that you might run into are physically blind. They have something that has diminished their sight to a point to where they can become legally blind. My mother-in-law has gone through uh, macular degeneration and very sadly to say that she's lost almost all of her vision. And a few years ago, she was still driving while she had lost a lot of her vision. I'm thankful that I wasn't living in Carlsbad at the time. She went to the DMV and she had a, a vision test done and they rejected her. They said, you can't see well enough to drive. And so she went out to a little community outside of Carlsbad, kind of like Otto, and they had a DMV office there. And I think the guy that was the DMV instructor was really old or something. And he said, I will give you your license. Listen, whenever you're going down the road and you're using your cane out the window, you should not have a driver's license, okay? So some people are physically blind. I shouldn't make fun of my mother-in-law. That is terrible. Some people can't see spiritual things. They, are, they can see them dimly. And so this morning's message is about you and I becoming to the point where we have good eyesight, not only physically, but spiritually. Amen? So how much that you can see depends on your, ra- your range of vision. 
If you look through a drinking straw, you can't hardly see anything. But if you look, you know, I have this panoramic view, you can see a whole lot of things at one time. So our vision, how much we can see, depends on our, rain, our range of vision. Uh, some can see things near at hand because you're nearsighted. Is that the way it works? And if you're farsighted, you can only see things that are far away. Um, what our range of spiritual vision is, is what we can believe for. You see, if you see Jesus as a healer and you know he's the healer, you have no problem being healed by the healer. Amen? See, but a lot of times we pray and we go, well, I think he's the healer. I think he might be healing me. I think maybe, I don't know. You see, you need to be able to see spiritually that he is the healer, that he took stripes on his back for our healing, that he wanted to break this curse of sickness off the world once and for all, and he did it through the stripes that he took on his back. You see, but our range of sight is so important. Sometimes we have a full view of things, and sometimes we only get a glimpse. I was walking out into my barn. I was going into it to check some, something out, and I was about from here to Brother Ed, and I seen a snake laying in my path. And about the same time I seen it, it seen me, and it went Oh, man, I'm getting the heebie-jeebies right now. I hate snakes. I only got a glimpse. I didn't know if it was a copperhead or a cobra. <laughs> but it was a bad snake. And so I went to try to dig it out of the spot that it went in. I knew it hadn't gone anywhere else, or at least I was hoping. But, oh, so creepy having to pull that stuff out of there, you know, because I, I just got a glimpse. Are you all understand what I'm saying? A glimpse. But there came a time, oh, thank you, God, for a dog that loves to kill snakes. I unfurled him out of his little spot, and he landed on the ground, and my dog went, <laughs> and it was dead. And then I got a full view of it. It was a cobra. <laughs> it wasn't even a poisonous snake. Nevertheless, I'm still scared of it. So sometimes we get a full view sometimes only a glimpse. Sadly to say, I think so many people are just as satisfied as they can be with only a glimpse of Jesus Christ. But as we go forward with these messages that I've been preparing, I believe that we're going to learn how to get a, a, longer, a longer exposure, if you would, a longer view of who Jesus is. Now I want to talk about shutter speed because this is real important. Kind of goes with the full view versus the glimpse. Shutter speed, this is science. I haven't even got into the word yet. Shutter speed on a camera is how fast it opens and closes the shutter on the inside. And whenever it opens and closes, determines how much light is let in. Okay, The longer the, 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 the aperture is open, the longer the exposure the more concrete the image will be on the photographic film or the sensor. So the longer it's open, the more lights it's let in, the more concrete the image will be. So again, the title of my message this morning is Exposed? Question mark. 
We're going to talk about the transfiguration of Jesus. I don't believe I've ever preached a sermon, a whole sermon off the transfiguration of Jesus. I want to talk about what happened to these three disciples, three disciples that literally became the leading disciples of the 12. In other words, you hear these folks' names all the time, but you don't hear the other disciples' names as often. So something happened to Peter and James and John. The transfiguration was really what I'm going to say is a long exposure to the person of Jesus Christ. And I believe that it left literally a permanent impression on their souls. The longer that we look at Jesus, the more clear the image of Jesus will be re reproduced in us. Uh, many, as I said earlier, have only gotten a glimpse of Jesus. They've never taken the time to take a long gaze at Jesus. We need a prolonged look at Jesus. We need a long exposure to Jesus because it lets the full image of Jesus be imprinted or concreted on our souls. So this is Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, I want you to go all the way to verse number 28. We're going to read about the transfiguration of Jesus. It says, Now it came to pass about eight days after these sayings that he took Peter, James, or Peter, John, and James and went up on the mountain to pray. As he prayed, the appearance of his face was altered, and his robe became white and glistening. And behold, two men talked to him who were Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke, to, spoke of his decease, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. But Peter and those with him were heavy with sleep. And when they were fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. Then it happened as they were parting from him that Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. And let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. While he was still saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were fearful as they entered the cloud. A voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son, hear him. When the voice had ceased, Jesus was found alone, but they kept quiet and told no one in these days anything, any of the things they had seen. So we're going to look at this story, this Luke chapter 9, this story about the transfiguration. We're going to break it down, what I believe, three different sections that we can look at. The manifestation of the kingdom of God, the transfiguration of Jesus, and the voice that came from the cloud. Amen? So let's talk about the kingdom of God for a minute. Um, it, the Bible starts out here in Luke 9, 28. It says, now it came to pass about eight days after. Now, we need to kind of understand what's happening here because this eight days after what? Eight days after what? Well, there were so, a real monumentous day eight days earlier. Some really important things took place, and you can, you can flip back if you want in Luke chapter 9 and read about them. But in Luke 9, 18, we get... Peter's great confession, okay? It says, and it happened as he was alone praying that his disciples joined him and asked him, saying, who do the crowd say I am? So they answered and said, John the Baptist, but some say Elijah. Others say that you're uh, uh, one of the old prophets has risen again. He, he said to them, but who do you say I am? And Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Great confession. Peter got it. You're God. 
The next thing that happened was Jesus announces to his disciples that he's going to have to suffer and die. In Luke 9.22 it says, Saying the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised on the third day. Wow. Man, I mean, that's, that's some bad news. I'm telling you, if somebody came up to you and said, Listen, I'm, I'm going to die here in just a few days. It, it would be earth-shattering to you, especially if you were very close to them. His disciples, the third thing that happened is his disciples were literally devastated by this. So in Matthew 16, 22, it says, Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. So Peter's over here going, No, 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 no. There's no way this can happen. For heaven's sake, look who you are. Jesus also told his disciples about an upcoming promise. This is Luke 9, 27. He says, But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who shall not taste death till they see the kingdom of God. Wow. Do you know how long that Israel had been awaiting the arrival of the kingdom of God? You see, they all equated this with Rome is going back home and we're going to have our own nation well, Jesus had a little bit different idea, but nevertheless, this was big news. So eight days, eight days earlier, all of this had happened. So this morning, how does the kingdom come? I mean, we've sang that before in a song. You know, Lord, come. You know, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. How is it that the world comes? I really believe in the day and time Jesus was living, I think that people probably assumed it was going to be a physical kingdom that came, that Jesus was going to send the steps there to the temple, and he's going to set up, he's going to rule, so on and so forth. In, night, in Luke 19, 11, it says, He was near Jerusalem, and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. In Acts 1, 6, and Jesus is fixing to ascend into heaven. It says, so whenever they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? So Jesus is on his way to ascend to the Father, and they're still looking, man, they're, oh, wait, 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 before you go, is, is the kingdom coming right now? They, they really believed that it was something physical. This kingdom that we're talking about this morning is not a visible kingdom. You cannot see it with your earthly eyes. But believe me, you can see it with your spiritual eyes. Folks, if we, were, if we were availed the opportunity to see what it is that is around us right now in the kingdom of God, folks, I'm telling you, this sanctuary has angels in it in Jesus' name. You go, <gasps> I'm telling you, they're here. They're here. They're, some of them are waiting out in the foyer for, for you. Some of them are sitting on the hood of your car. They're probably playing solitaire on their iPad. I don't know. But there are angels in this place. The kingdom of God is not visible. It is invisible to an earthly eye. But I will tell you this. There have been times in my life whenever I have literally, I have literally said, I am okay because your angels are around me and they guard me, they protect me. Amen? I have felt the physical presence of angels in my life before. The kingdom of God is a manifestation of God's presence. The kingdom of God doesn't come with signs to be observed or the visible display, nor will people say, look, here it is, or see, there it is. For behold, the kingdom of God is within your hearts. That's Luke 17, 20 and 21. 
The kingdom of God is within our hearts. God lives in us. Oh, it's so powerful whenever we come together and we go, oh, this is the church. Oh, no, this is the church right here. It's not about this building. This building's going to go away one of these days. There's just going to be a flat spot here on 441 or a Chick-fil-A. I don't know, but I'm telling you that this kingdom right here, it's never going to go away. Amen? So how do you get this spiritual sight? Because there is a, there's an invisible kingdom out there that I see little bits and pieces of it. You know where I see the kingdom of God most often? is in the change that it brings about in people's lives. Because as a pastor, I'm so privileged to be a pastor and be able to... I've been around some of you all for almost 18 years, and I have seen changes in you. The kingdom has affected you. I'm still looking for some more changes, but nevertheless... Yeah. So we. how do we get this... This supernatural vision, this this spiritual vision. Well, I believe that one of the first and foremost things that we how we receive this vision is because of the new birth. In John chapter three, verse three, this is Nicodemus's uh, uh, discourse with Jesus, wanting to know how to get to the kingdom of God. Jesus says this. He says in reply, Jesus says, "I tell you the truth: no one can see the kingdom of God." unless he is born again. Whenever you get born again, you start seeing the kingdom, man. I remember the night I was born again. I started seeing pieces of the kingdom. I started seeing a compassionate God full of grace and mercy. That, man, he loved me. And there was just so much kingdom stuff going in in, in, in my heart. Not only do you need to be born again, but I believe it involves the Holy Spirit. I'm so glad that we have opportunity to have the Holy Spirit in our lives. In Romans 14, 17, it says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. A lot of times there's things out there that are advertised that if you get this, it's going to make you happy. Folks, there is nothing out there that's going to make me happy, period. I might grin at you, you know, but I'm... My happiness comes from a totally different place. It comes from the kingdom. Amen? In 1 Corinthians 4.20, it says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. It's, about, it's all about the Holy Spirit. So, so how, how does this, this, this kingdom come? The next one is, what kind of people experience this? What kind of people experience the kingdom? Because this morning, I may be talking to folks that you just, well, I don't have any idea what he's talking about. I just, I have no idea. Well, I think people that run with Jesus experience the kingdom. I really do. I think the more you run with Jesus, do y'all understand run? Can I say that? Is that okay? Okay. The more you run with Jesus, the more of the kingdom that you're going to experience. Peter, James, and John ran with Jesus. They're the ones that, I believe, were the most receptive to Jesus. You realize that these three really rose to the top, and two of them really rose to the top. Peter and John were the leaders of the whole group of disciples. They were most receptive to Jesus. I really believe that they were the most willing to give up and follow Jesus. I believe that they combined their faith with instant action. 
They were taken to three locations, and the Bible clearly tells that Jesus took three of his disciples, James, John, and Peter, to the raising of Jairus' daughter from the dead, the transfiguration, and the Garden of Gethsemane. Just hours, literally, before he was crucified, he took these three. He took them all, but he took three on in, on in a ways. So what brought on these, if you would, kingdom experiences? Why did they happen? Why, why was Peter, James, and John so in tune? What happened on the Mount of Transfiguration? Something brought it, brought it about. What happened? Because, folks, i got to tell you, a lot of times we read over this because we don't understand it, everything about it, you know, because it was kind of freaky. I mean, it was. If you'd have been there, you'd have been freaked out. Don't, don't sit there all pious. Yeah, I'd been cool. Yeah, I'd have been cool with it. I'm telling you, I'd have been scared out of my wits by it. What brought it about? Simple. Prayer. It's pretty easy. We have prayer tomorrow night at 630. <laughs> right here in the sanctuary. You see, I don't believe it was any kind of an accident that this happened. Uh, it's what it says right here. It says, as he prayed, the appearance of his face was altered and his robe became white and glistening. Prayer makes the connection between earth and heaven. Let me just say this. Prayer makes the connection between you and heaven. If you want to understand the kingdom, you have got to spend time in prayer. And that doesn't mean just asking, 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 asking. And I understand that that's part of it. But prayer is fellowship with Jesus Christ. It's fellowship with the Father. It's talking to Him. So prayer brought this about. It makes that connection between earth and heaven. And this is what I will tell you, and I will stand by it emphatically. Prayer will change who you are. So as Jesus prayed, the aperture or the shutter of heaven was opened. Think about this. Moments earlier, it's just Jesus up there praying on rock. Peter and the disciples are... You got that? And then all of a sudden, the aperture of heaven opened. This morning, I'm right there where Jared was. We're in the middle of worship, and I tell you, the aperture of heaven opened in my life. Maybe not for you, but for me. And I just put my hands up in the middle of that blessing song, and I just said, I'll take it, Lord. And man, I'm telling you, he just, and I just, anybody there besides me? I'm telling you. The aperture of heaven opened. The shutter was open, And the lens focused on that obscure mountaintop to, to really reveal who Jesus was. Now remember, Peter had said, man, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. But he was the only one that said that. Okay? Some say you're Elijah. Some say that you are Moses. Some say... You're just a prophet from the Old Testament that's been raised from the dead. We don't know if these other two disciples were thinking the same thing. I doubt it, but are you all there with me? The, the aperture opened, and all of a sudden, they get revealed to them who Jesus was. These, these three disciples literally got a look at the kingdom of God, the transfiguration of Jesus. The, the, the form of God literally began to show through in Jesus' life. Matthew says, His face did shine as the sun and His raiment as white as light. 
Do you know what made his robe shine like that? Is the light that was on the inside of him. It's the light on the inside of him. I got a real strong flashlight at home, and I like my grandkids, whenever they come over, we look at the bones and stuff in their fingers. We can see all the way through. We can see it's got red blood. I thought for a little while it was green, but, but no, they're red-blooded kids because they take after their mom. And y'all, from the inside of Jesus, a light began to shone through so brightly that it caused his garments to appear white. Paul said in Colossians 2.9, in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Ha <laughs> ha. Man, I'm telling you, that's about 600 sermons right there. In him dwells the fullness of the Godhead. That's Jesus. The deity of Jesus Christ up until this time had kind of been veiled. You know, from the time he was born in the manger till now, I mean, yeah, he had healed and raised people from the dead, did all these fabulous miracles, but they'd never seen this side of him. Now, Peter, James, and John, they could see it. They seen this fullness of the Godhead shining through Jesus' earthly form. The same light that they seen was the light in, in, in the book of Genesis, and let there be light. 2 Corinthians 4, 6, it says, For God who commanded the light to shine out of the darkness has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Oh, man. Let your light so shine before men. You guys don't realize it, but we got light on the inside of us. No, let me rephrase that because that's really not right. We have the light on the inside of us. Saul of Tarsus recognized his blindness whenever he saw the light. The apostle John saw him on the Isle of Patmos, describing him like this. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars out of his mouth, came a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all of its brilliance. That's Revelation chapter 1. That's what John says about this light. And now all of a sudden, here you got three disciples up on top of this mountain, and they're seeing it with their eyes. Whenever John seen this vision of Jesus in the book of Revelation, the Bible says John fell on his face like a dead man. You see, I believe if we ever seen Jesus in all of his glory, we would never be the same again. But this is what I also say. Whenever we just see Jesus in his glory, just little glimpses here and little glimpses there, a long gaze here, will never be the same. I am not the same person I was 40 years ago whenever I accepted Jesus Christ. He has changed me, changed me, changed me, and he's still changing me, and you all need to say amen to that one. The effect of the transfiguration. I mean, it affected these guys. The effect was seen 
on Moses. He was on the mountain for 40 days, 40 nights. Whenever he came off the mountain, his face literally shone, scared the bejeebies out of all the nation of Israel. So what effect did this long exposure to Jesus have on his disciples? Here's James, John, and Peter. What effect did it have on them? Well, in Acts 4.13, this is what it says. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, literally these men are standing before people who could execute them. And it says, now whenever they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they had, were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. Here's Peter and John, unlearned, have absolutely no idea of how to respond to this, but yet they're responding in such a manner that they, they draw the parallel. They say, I know why they're talking like that, because those guys have been with Jesus. Let me just say something. Whenever you do an act of kindness, whenever you love somebody that's unlovable, whenever you reach out to somebody and bless them, I'll tell you why you do that. Because you've been with Jesus. If you're stingy, you need to be with Jesus more. <laughs> that was a footnote. They had been exposed to Jesus. Christ is the visible manifestation of all that God is. In Him dwells the Godhead, all of it bodily. In Colossians 1.5, it says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. In Hebrews 1.3, the beginning of that verse, it says, He are who being the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person. The express image of His person. So they're talking about Jesus here. Whenever you take that and you begin to break it down in the Greek, that word image translates a tool for engraving or a stamp or a seal. The Son of God is the very image of His Father's substance. So He's been stamped out. He, Jesus, is a great engraving tool. And He wants to engrave His image, which is the image of the Father, been engraved on Him. He now wants to engrave it on us. Amen? But in order for that engraving to take place, it takes exposure to him. Photographers know that the faster shutter speeds require more light, longer light. And can I just say this? There's a real push in America, I think, to bring about something that I'm going to label it Christian light. You know, like Dr. Pepper light. Do they have Dr. Pepper light? It's the same thing, okay? Coke light, Coke Zero. You all understand what I'm saying? We've got this idea about how the Christianity can be light. And, and I'm guilty of it myself sometimes. Just saying, hey, just spend five minutes with Jesus. Five minutes is better than nothing. I will tell you this. Five minutes may be enough time to unload the dishwasher, boil an egg, drink a cup of coffee, but I don't believe that it is enough time to reproduce Jesus Christ inside of us. It takes time. It takes exposure to Him. The longer the exposure is to Jesus, the more concrete that His image will be on that photographic film of our heart. Amen? The more we're with Him, the more we're like Him. Amen? 
That's why Jesus was always running off to be with the Father. Amen? He was always going to a place. Because why? The Father is embedding His image on His Son. We've got to learn that. Five minutes is not going to do it. Christianity light doesn't work. That's why we got so many Christians acting like non-Christians. And I'm glad I'm not in that group. Forgive me, Lord. We're all like that occasionally. We all have those moments in our lives. But I will tell you, there's some things that I used to struggle with years ago. They used to haunt me. They used to plague me. They were not anything like what Jesus would be acting like. And I will tell you, the more time that I spent with Jesus, the more of those things became an irrelevant issue in my life. And I'll say amen to that. The more we are exposed, the more we are transformed. In 2 Corinthians 3.18, it says, We can all draw close to him with a veil removed from our faces, and with no veil we all become like mirrors who brightly reflect the glory of the Lord Jesus. We are being transfigured into his very image as we move from one brighter level of glory to another. And this glorious transfiguration comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So in other words, that scripture is telling us the more we are around Jesus, the more we will be like Jesus. So I just, I almost left this out this morning, but I really feel like this is important. In the middle of the transfiguration, the disciples wake. The disciples awake. There was an A there, but it was in the middle of swallowing spit. They, they awake and they see three people. They see Moses and Elijah. And they're all talking to Jesus. They're talking to Jesus literally about his soon coming departure from this globe. Amen. He's got to go through this death and resurrection. And they're talking about it. Peter, I almost didn't do this, but I just believe that it's necessary. Peter's been taking a little nap. And he suddenly perks up from this nap. Have you ever been taking a nap and you got caught and you weren't supposed to be taking a nap? Have you ever said something goofy? Like one time the phone rang and I was deep into sleep, 10 minutes or so, and I had passed from being alive to dead. And the phone rang and I answered. I said, hello? They said, oh, did I wake you up? I said, no, I didn't didn't wake me up. I just sound like Elmer Fudd all the time. (laughs) Peter wakes up, and I'll be honest with you, I think he makes a a real goofy statement here. He wakes up, blood's still not in his brain, and he goes, okay, Jesus, I know what we need to do. We need to make three tabernacles. One for Moses, one for Elijah, one for you. <laughs> Did you notice that Jesus just went on? He just went on. He just goes, oh, bless God. Oh. That's why you shouldn't be caught sleeping. But if you are caught sleeping, I've got a list here of some things that you can say so as not to get caught sleeping. So these are the seven best things you can say. If you get caught sleeping, you can wake up and you can say, they told me this might happen at the blood bank. (laughs) 
If you get caught sleeping, you can wake up at your desk and say, whoo, man, I guess I left the top off of that whiteout. Whew, you got, probably got here just right in time. Or maybe you can say, I wasn't sleeping. I was meditating on the mission statement and envisioning this new paradigm in this company. <laughs> or maybe, I knew you wouldn't say that. Maybe you can say, why did you interrupt me? I almost figured out the solution to our biggest problem. Or maybe you could say, somebody put decaf in the wrong pot. But this is the best one, and it works every time for Christians. If you get caught sleeping, just wake up and say, and in the name of Jesus, I pray, amen. <laughs> I almost left that out, but I just needed to say it. So after Peter's goofy statement... Jesus, just, John, do something with him, please. This cloud and this voice, which I believe is very significant in this. In verse 34, it says, while they were speaking, while he was speaking, a cloud appeared and enveloped them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice came from the cloud saying, this is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. So this cloud appears, and it literally surrounds them. In the book of Matthew, the, the, Matthew writes about this same experience. This is what he said. He describes the cloud as bright and luminous. So that same brightness that came from Jesus is now coming from this cloud. Do you guys know why that this brightness and this luminous cloud is appearing? Do you all know what's causing the light in there? It's not a bright flashlight. This is the Father coming into the scene. This is God the Father that is imprinted on Jesus, His engraving on Jesus. Jesus is glowing from the inside out. Why? Because the Father. Yeah, okay. I just thought that was good. Y'all didn't think it was that good. This refers to the splendor of God's presence, that brilliant light that is emanating from God is the Shekinah glory of God that we've seen in the, in, in the cloud in the Old Testament, we've seen it in the Holy of Holies, that presence of God. The presence or the, of the Spirit of God is everywhere, but sometimes His presence is literally manifest visibly. So the most concrete and complete manifestation of God coming to earth came in the way or came in the form of Jesus Christ. That's it. That's the manifestation. Emmanuel, God is with us, that word becoming flesh. And so now right in the middle of this cloud that's emanating this bright light out of it, in the middle of Peter's goofiness, God the Father interrupts him and says, this is my beloved son, listen to him. The transfiguration supports the identity of Jesus Christ as the Son of God. God the Father saying, that right there is my Son. The second thing is it identifies Him as the ultimate messenger of God, the ultimate voice of God. In other words, anything Jesus says, it's God. Y'all there? And then all of a sudden, the cloud... Moses, Elijah, all alone. Whenever the Father finished speaking, 
The aperture of heaven closed and the disciples looked up and Jesus is all that's remaining. Now remember Peter just a moment ago? He said, okay, Jesus, let's build a tabernacle to you, one to Moses, and, and, and one to Elijah. Now this, make sure we understand this. What he's saying is goofy because Elijah and Moses are nowhere close to being on the same plane that Jesus is. Amen? And so here's a little footnote. Moses and Elijah are gone. The law and the prophets, they're gone. The law and the prophets can't save us. There's no doctrine, doctrine, there's no teaching that can save us. But Christ alone. Oh man, that's a good word. That's a good word. Only Jesus can. In John 14, 6, it says, Jesus said to him, I am the way, I am the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jared, if you'll come this morning and help me close this. I've preached all of that basically get here this morning. I think this event changed the hearts of the disciples. I think these three guys that were with him whenever all of this took place, this transfiguration, I, th I think it changed them. I think, I think there was a deep and profound change in each one of their lives. I think if you read the scripture and you become familiar with who these three guys are, and what they did with their lives after this event, I really believe that you could not argue that fact. You see, Jesus was exposed to them. They were exposed to who he was. He is the son of the living God. God the Father, all of the Godhead bodily dwells in him. The Father Himself shows up to this meeting and says, That is my Son. Listen to Him. It changed them. You could tell that these guys had been exposed to Jesus by what they did with their lives. Read about them. Not only biblically, but historically. There's so much evidence out there that shows us that their lives were changed by this exposure to Jesus Christ. And so this morning, I just simply have to go here. In your shutter opening and closing, how long in the last week or two or three or four have you been exposed to Jesus? to that supernatural kingdom of God. How long has it, have, have you been exposed? Has it been five minutes a day, three minutes a day? Has it been five minutes one day and nothing the next day? You see, my whole reason for preaching this is because we all need more exposure to Jesus Christ. We all need more exposure. As I said at the onset of this message, whether you've been in the kingdom for decades or just months, all of us need more exposure to Jesus Christ. I got to show you something. I'm kind of proud of it. Not my muscle. But I was out on the tractor the other day baling hay, and I got a tan. Look at that. <laughs> See? I mean, this arm's darker than this one, and I haven't been able to figure that one out. Maybe this one was more exposed to the sun than this one. But now I have to show you this as well. 
No exposure. Yes. No exposure. I had on a t-shirt. It's a little bit dark back here on my neck too. Because I've been exposed to the sun. My poor wife, she never gets any sun. Just whenever we're wheeling her to the car in the wheelchair, she's... So I, I sat down next to her and I said, look, babe, compared my arm with hers. I just told her, I said, you're a white baby. That's all I know. You see, the more exposure that I have to the sun, the darker I'm going to get. And the more I'm exposed to Jesus, the more I'm going to be like him. And I want to be like him. I really do. I have a desire to be like Jesus because that's good. See, everything about that's good. If I'm running with you and rubbing up against your life every day, and every time I do, I act like Jesus. Folks, there's nothing you're ever going to complain about. Y'all understand what I'm saying? Whenever we're out in our communities, we've got to be like Jesus. We've got to be like Jesus. And the only way to be like Jesus is, is to have long exposures to Jesus. Those quick little apertures opening one second and closing the next, it's not ever going to let enough light in to concrete His image on the inside of us. I can promise you this, there's a lot of things out there today that we open the aperture of our lives for long periods of time and we take it all in. There's some people in our community can tell you everything there has been said in the last two weeks about this COVID virus. How many are sick? How many are in the hospital? How many have lost their hair? And how many kids those people have that lost their hair? I don't think hair has anything to do with it, but I'm just, I'm just saying. Because they've sat in front of the TV or the newspaper or they've sat in front of the internet and they've Googled everything about the COVID-19. And let me just ask you, just because you know how many people are sick with the COVID-19, has it made your life any better? Come on. I've got to a point now where I hate the news. I absolutely hate the news. I turn it on and I'm in a good mood and by the 15, 20 seconds goes by, I'm kicking my wife. I'm joking, I really don't do that. But you understand what I'm saying? I mean, he just throws me into an instant bad mood. I mean, I look at all the things that's going on, I don't agree with about 99% of it. And I'm thinking to myself, well, why did I watch that? Because I could have just opened my life up to Jesus and felt a whole lot better at the end of the day. Because this is what I know. Regardless of what goes on on this planet, Jesus is still in control. Hallelujah. So we make all of these things that we expose our lives to so important. And I come down to this last statement of this message. We must increase our exposure to Jesus Christ. And there's a lot of different ways we can do that. Folks, I believe fellowship with one another. And as long as that fellowship doesn't involve all the COVID-19 news, hello. If it involves... Jesus stuff, 
Because we got a small group going. We're, I think we're going to do small group tonight. And are we going to do small group tonight? And see, they'll, they'll be exposed to Jesus in that small group. They'll come out better for it. We've got to find a way to increase our exposure. It's through fellowship, good Christian fellowship. It's through the Word of God. Oh, my goodness. The Word of God is so great because it tells us who He is. And it's not just a book that's paper and ink. It's supernatural. It's alive. Oh, and then that, that, com that communion with Almighty God where you can, anywhere you are, just literally walk into His presence and say, Father, I'm here today just to talk to you. I don't really want to make any requests for anything. I just want to get to know you. Let me just say, if God hears that coming from your mouth, it excites him. Because he says that's what Jesus' death and resurrection was all about. It's so you can get to know me. We've got to find a way to increase our exposure to Jesus. I want to be more like him. Now, can I say this without you all getting offended? I want you to be more like him. So in these next few weeks to come, I'm going to be preaching a lot of Jesus stuff. I'm going to be introducing to you to maybe some things about Jesus you didn't know. I'm going to try to give you more exposure to Jesus. Who he was, what he did, why he did it. Because it's worth it. Because whenever we're exposed to Jesus, it changes who we are. It changes our thought process. My poor wife has been exposed to me for 40 years now. And I find her... Okay, I'm going to say this. I've been mean to my wife. Not in a bad way, but I like to torment her. Yeah. And I found the last few years that she's finding ways to torment me. And all I can do whenever she tries to torment me, because she never does because she's not really good at it, but I'm good. I just go, oh God, what have I done to my poor wife? She was almost perfect whenever I married her. You know why she's tormenting now? Because she's been exposed to me for all of those years. If you wonder about my kids, I did it. If you wonder about my grandkids, I'm doing it. <laughs> I think it's fun to be fun. Amen? But I think it's even better to be like Jesus. Would you stand with me this morning? Father, I pray this prayer. And I ask that you will help us, Lord, in this endeavor. Because, Father, this is what I know. If we're going to become people... We're going to become men and women, young people, Lord, that are hard after the person of Jesus Christ. It's going to take you initiating some things in our lives, helping us to come to a place, Lord, where we can increase our exposure in these coming weeks, these coming months, and these coming years to the person of Jesus Christ. We need to be like Him, Lord. And I believe that this exposure, Lord God, to the kingdom of heaven, as it literally opened up on the Mount of Transfiguration, Lord, I think it changed who these disciples were. And Lord, I'm confident that as you unveil the kingdom in our lives, Lord God, through 
us taking steps, us taking actions, Lord God, to see the face of Jesus Christ, Lord, it will change who we are. And I pray over this word, Lord, that it'll get a hold of us and it'll change us. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen and amen. God bless you folks. I pray, go get yourself exposed. Amen.